The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoiced at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood, will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of his graceness and peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thanks, Noah. Well, good morning. It's fun to be with you today as we are wrapping up our sermon series titled The Consolation of Christmas. And all throughout Advent, we've been looking at several key passages in the book of Isaiah as they've been talking about things like hope, faith, joy, peace. And today we're going to see love. But before we start, I have a question, and I'm not looking for a show of hands, but how many of you didn't get what you wanted for Christmas? How many of you got exactly what you wanted, and it's broken already? <laughs> How many of us find ourselves the day after Christmas, or even a couple of days after Christmas, just kind of going, is that it? Is that it? Is anybody a little tired? Maybe a little disappointed? Maybe Christmas wasn't everything that we thought it would be? What a faith and hope and joy and peace and love when you're on the bus headed back to school or when you're sitting in your car on your way back to work. How do you celebrate Christmas on December 29th? Because our world thinks that it's over. It was funny, I was talking to a student this past week and he said, hey, so in your sermon, when are you going to give a Walmart story? Because all of the teenagers laugh because they know whenever John teaches, you get a Frozen or a Disney reference. And whenever Jake teaches, you get a Walmart story. So I'm going to give you my customary Jake Walmart story this morning. So on December 26th at Walmart, you know Christmas is over. Like, you know it's long gone. Chris, the store has been de however you want to call that. And there is really only one department that is working at Walmart on December 26th. Can you guess which one it is? It is the return line. And I say line because it is a mile long. There are two things I, I learned from walking into Walmart the day after Christmas for the past five years. It's one, intercessory prayer because my friends needed Jesus. Sitting in that long line, having to help people, it was bad. Number two, that on December 26th, you better believe that in our culture, Christmas is over. 
I saw somebody, believe it or not, try and return their Christmas tree. <laughs> it wasn't a live one. They had boxed it up. They brought it back. For them, Christmas was over, and they didn't want a trace of it. As I was leaving my parents' house uh, the day after Christmas, I actually saw a tree in the trash. It gets over quick. And you and I are left going, isn't there more? Isn't there more? During Advent, we talk about things like hope, faith, joy, peace, and love. And the music we listen to and the shows that we watch, they, they promise that Christmas is going to be perfect. But they hardly ever say anything about December 26th. They hardly ever say anything about the time after Christmas. So what do we do? Well, if you're like me, usually what you do is you start hyping up the next holiday. Right? So the day after Christmas, I'm in New Year's mode. And New Year's is the best holiday ever. Christmas has nothing on New Year's because it's a time when, first of all, it's a time that hasn't passed already. And second of all, it's a time when all of our family comes together. They all go to my mom's house. All my cousins are there. We do crazy things like pickle slicing competitions. And you wouldn't even believe it. So New Year's is the best. And I get all excited about New Year's Day until January 2nd rolls around. And then I look at my calendar again. Well, what's in February? Well, there's Valentine's Day. <laughs> All right, in March, there's St. Patty's Day. And I'm not Irish, but, you know, I can definitely pretend. And, you know, and we start, we get in this rhythm. Some of us, we call it the rhythm of life. And we just desperately keep looking forward to something else that's promising, something else that we can put our hope in, something else that we can put faith in, some other way that we're going to try and find joy or peace. In essence, we keep looking for other things to love. And they don't love us back. And we don't just do this for holidays. We do this in life, too. I hang out with my cousins a lot, and they all have kids that are under the age of seven. And I can remember when all they wanted to do was start school. They, were, they loved the idea of starting school. When I go to school, then I'm a big boy, then I'm a big girl. When I can go to big boy school, I've made it. How many of our kids still love school and want, can't wait to get on the bus and go back? Like, they wish that Christmas break ended tomorrow. No? Okay. Or in middle school, oh, I just want to be an eighth grader. I just want to get to high school because then when I get to high school, I'm cool. And then when you're in high school, you just want to get to college because all of your problems go away when you go to college. And if they don't, you fix them by getting married. And then you just have, and then you just, I want to have kids or I want to have grandkids or I can't wait until retirement. Once retirement comes, I'll be set. But what happens as soon as we get these, as soon as we get these things, we can't help but feel a little disappointed. We can't help but try and look for something else. Or, we become so tired of this endless cycle of getting disappointed, of getting our hopes up, of loving something that doesn't actually love us back, we push everything to the side. And we think, okay, well, maybe this year I'm not going to get that excited about Christmas because I don't want to get my hopes up to be disappointed. Maybe this year it was really hard to love my family, so maybe this year I'm just not going to do Christmas. Maybe I'm just going to stop talking to that coworker because I just get disappointed by where the conversation goes. That's called apathy. And apathy is a really big word. So in order to help you see what I think of when I think of apathy, I have a video. Have you ever seen Despicable Me, the first one, like the original one? All right, I think Gru's mom is what it means to be apathetic. Check this out. 
eh. Anybody find themselves sometimes living in a world of eh? We're not upset. We're not mad. We just don't want to get hurt again. We just don't want to be disappointed. And you see, these disappointments, they're actually the realization that we've loved the wrong thing. They rob us of experiencing any true faith, hope, peace, and joy because we don't have the necessary ingredient. They don't love us back. As soon as we get them, they're gone. And it's interesting because if you're here today and you're, you're, you're feeling that, maybe a little bit of that disappointment, or you're feeling that, eh, you're actually, we're actually in the same place as the people that Isaiah was talking to that Noah just read. Because you see, those people, they weren't looking forward to a holiday. They weren't coming down off of the holidays. But they were disappointed. Because you see, these people, they had received a king who was really good named King David. And then he had a son whose name was Solomon, and he was pretty good. He built a temple, and God literally dwelt with his people. But then it was like December 26th hit when Solomon died. The kingdom divided And each king, everybody thought, well, is this going to be the guy that makes everything right? Is this king going to put all the pieces back together? And time and time again, it was no. Talk about living in uh. And yet what? It's at that point that God chooses to get involved in the story of his people. It's at that point that God sends Isaiah with a message. And what's Isaiah's message? Well, to sum it all up, his message is this. God's people can be confident of God's promises because we have God's son. And his son is the ultimate demonstration of his love. Here's what Isaiah says, as Noah just read. The people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. What is his message? It is good morning. It's good morning. It's that light has invaded darkness. And pop quiz time. What was the first thing that God created on day one? Remember? I see a hand. Go for it. Light. That's right. In Genesis 1, verse 3, it says this, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. What Isaiah is telling his people is that same God that spoke light into darkness, he's doing it again. He's doing it again. He's actually recreating. Because here's the thing. God's not, God's not satisfied. He's not in the business of Band-Aid fixes. God's not a companion in the highs and lows of life. Rather, he's in the process, he's in the business of making all things new, as he says in Revelation 21. He's in the process of a total new creation. And Isaiah starts describing what that new creation looks like. As Noah read, he says things like, you've enlarged the nation, you've increased joy. People rejoice like they do at harvest, and warriors rejoice when they divide plunder. People are getting stuff. People are receiving things. The yoke that burdens them has been thrown off their shoulders. People are experiencing true joy. The enemy's been defeated. There's true peace. It sounds like Christmas 2.0. It sounds like Christmas 2.0. It sounds like hope. It sounds like something you could put your faith in. It sounds like endless joy. It sounds like living with a loving God. 
Now, I know you might be thinking, Jake, well, that sounds a lot like Christmas. So I got all excited about Christmas, and it wasn't what I thought. Jake, what is the difference between this and any other promise that I've been given my whole life? Jake, why shouldn't I hold this at a distance and say, oh, well, you know, that's great if it comes, but if it doesn't, I'll be okay. Why should I get all excited? How is God's promise different from any other promise of any other TV show? How do I know this isn't Hallmark telling me that everything's going to be good on Christmas Day? Well, here's the thing. Here's how God's promise is different. He's not promising a season. He's not promising a holiday. He's not even promising a one-time event. And he's not promising a feeling. Rather, at the heart of the gospel, at the heart of Isaiah's message, God is promising a person, not a holiday. A person that won't fade like an emotion will. A person who is faith. A person who is hope. A person who is complete joy. A person who is peace. And a person who is everything that it means to be love. That's the difference. Isaiah is promising a new king. If you go back to Isaiah verse, verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Names that are reserved for God himself. God is promising a new king, not like any that we've had before. Because you and I have tried. We've tried to be the king of our own lives, and it's not working out. It's not working out because we're left feeling disappointed. We're left in moments of despair, but God does not leave us there. And you find out that it's this king who brings peace, the greatness of his government and his peace. There will be no end. The difference is, is he'll never be standing in the rearview mirror, but he's always with you, establishing and upholding his kingdom with righteousness. God's not only promising a new creation to come at some point. He's promising a person that you and I can have a relationship. So things like hope and faith and joy and peace and love aren't just emotions or feelings that we can feel and then fade, but they're qualities of a relationship with a God who saw us in darkness and has brought light to us by stepping into our world. Timothy Keller puts it this way. He says, the gospel is not good advice. The gospel is not, hey, here's what Jesus did. You should live this way. It's never you should. Rather, it is a summons to follow a king. The gospel is personal. It's a person. It's not a season. It's not a holiday. It's not an emotion. It's not a philosophy. It is a person, and his name is Jesus. And you can also see the gospel begins way back in the Old Testament. It begins way before people even had a thought, before people even knew who Jesus was. And you can see it in verse 6 again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. That is God completely absorbing the cost to be with his people. It's at this moment you see that God is willing to step into the humanity at his own cost. Kids, when you were, when you were ripping open your Christmas gifts, right, did you happen to, it's really easy to miss, but there's a little thing, it looks like a sticker, and it's called a tag, and it says to and from. It's how you, if you were born, in, if you were raised in my house, it's how you know that that's your gift and not your brother's, right? It says to and it says from. I love tags. I know this is weird, 
But it says to and it says from. Because what is a tag? Well, basically, a tag is the contents of this gift is now solely yours. It's yours, 100%, to you. And the from is here's the person who is willing to absorb the cost for you to have the gift. So when you got that bike on Christmas morning, that's your bike. It's yours. It's yours to ride. It's yours to enjoy at the expense of your parents or your grandparents or whoever gave it to you. And here you can see in Isaiah 9, God is signing his tag on the manger. You can see God saying, to you, to me, to you, to me, a child is born at the expense of a son being given. And that son would be laid in a wooden manger, and then he would grow up to be a man who would be laid on a wooden cross for you and for me. This is literally to you, to me, from God. First John 4 says this, This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. This is why God is greater. This is why God is worthy of our love more than anything else because he looks at us and says, first, we're worthy of his. Because he loves us way more than we love him. Because he completely absorbed the cost of being with us. Because of Jesus also, God doesn't just wait. This isn't a, hey, something really good is coming. Uh, Wait here for it. Hey, wait for Christmas to come back again. Hey, wait for New Year. Actually, what God does is because of Jesus, he starts now. Heaven is not some event that's going to happen in the future. It is, but it's a lot more. It's something that you and I have now because of Jesus. God actually recreates us. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. This is something that happens now. This is something that God has started in each and every one of us, where he's not only the same God who spoke light into darkness in creation, is the same God who speaks light into the darkness of our hearts. It's the same God who speaks light into the darkness of the disappointment that we feel. When we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I've loved the wrong things, he speaks light into our hearts. He says, I am making you new. I am completely redeeming you. And here you see God is actually addressing the heart of the issue, and the heart of the issue is really the issue of our hearts. We're drawn to the wrong things. Our hearts love the wrong things, and that's why we experience these disappointments. That's why we desperately look for something else to give us hope, something else to love. We look for the new truck, but then the payments start coming in, and we don't really love it that much anymore. Or we look to the college degree, and then we go, well, my identity's been built as a student, so now what do I do? Or we look forward to things like Christmas, and we go, it wasn't what I thought. And Jesus goes, I'm giving you something better to hope in. I'm giving you something better to long for. And it's something that starts now and continues into eternity. So then the gospel frees us from this cycle of endless hope and disappointment because it's about a person rather than an event. It's about a person rather than a feeling. I love that we still have this Advent wreath here. 
Because check this out. How many candles-ish were here on Christmas Eve? You remember? Five. How many candles do you see now? One. So the world looks at that and goes, all right, well, Christmas is over, so I guess we uh, box up hope, we box up faith, we box up joy, peace. Uh, if, we can, if we have the Hallmark Channel, we can have that all year round. But all this other stuff, that just gets boxed up. But what's so cool is we look at this and we go, no. In fact, the reason that those candles aren't here is because we have this one. Is because faith, hope, true joy, true peace, and true lasting love is not an emotion, it's a person. And as soon as you get the person, as soon as you get the person of Jesus, you get all of those things. The consolation of Christmas that we've been talking about, I hope you can see it's a person. It's a person, and things like hope, and faith, and peace, and joy, and love. They're not emotions that we get because emotions can fade. They're actually the quality of a relationship with a God who is madly, deeply, and passionately in love with each and every one of us. And now you might be thinking, Jake, that's really good for you, man. That's great. I'm glad that you can get excited on December 29th. But I can't even love my own family. How am I supposed to love this God? Jake, I've messed up a lot of stuff in my life. I don't think that God looks at me that way. I don't think it's, I don't think I'm worthy of it. Or Jake, what happens when I don't feel those things? Does that mean that I've lost God's love because I don't feel it? And that's why we can't forget, we can't forget the, the last part of Isaiah's message. And he says this, he says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Did you catch that? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This word zeal, we don't use it a whole lot. I would like to use it a lot more. Because as I've been looking into this word, it means something like jealous love. Now we look at that and go, that sounds really weird, jealous love. But think of it this way. Have you ever been to the beach? You ever see sand when you're at the beach? I hate sand. Can't stand it. Do everything I can to avoid the sand. I love the water, but sand, not really. You ever see little kids eat sand? It is right. It's awful. Like, what are you doing? That's the worst part of the beach, and you're ingesting it, right? You ever see a parent come over and knock the sand out of their child's hand and give them food? That's a picture of zeal. Because zeal is God saying, I love you too much to let you settle for anything less than what I have for you. Zeal is God saying, you don't get to live in disappointment. Zeal is God saying, I love you too much for you to endlessly and hopelessly jump from one thing to another to love and not feel it and not actually have it. It's the zeal of God that accomplishes all of this. And that is great news, friends, because that means it's not up to us. That means your relationship with God is not contingent, it does not depend on how much faith you have. It's not about how much you love God. It's about how much he loved us. Check out how Jeremiah describes zeal in Jeremiah 32. This is after God's people have time and time again proven how much they don't deserve God. Here's what God says to them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. 
I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all of my heart and soul. That's the zeal and the love of God. That's the zeal that says, I love you too much to let you settle for disappointment. I love you too much to let you go from thing to thing, trying to find love and never actually feeling it. That's the zeal of God that says, I love you even though you don't love me as much as I love you. And it's in that love that we can be confident in God's promises because we have his son. And when we have the son, we have the love of the father. Jesus quotes Isaiah 9 and Matthew 4. And it's so cool about how he quotes it because he said, his disciples are saying, hey, how come you're leaving your hometown? And he goes, the people who have been walking in darkness have seen a great light. And you realize he says that as he's stepping into Galilee, as he's stepping into a new region. And the next words out of his mouth are the kingdom of heaven are here. When you have the son, you have the love of the father. When you have the son, you have the promise of God. So what does it look like? What does it look like to celebrate Christmas on December 26th? What does it look like to celebrate Christmas on December 29th? What do we, if we have something so different than the world, if we have Christmas 2.0, then what does life look like? Well, there's this one Danish theologian and philosopher who I think said it best, and he has the world's greatest name. His name is Soren Kierkegaard. All right? It's awesome. In your free time, practice saying his name, Kierkegaard. It's pretty great. But he wrote a book called The Works of Love, and this is what he said. When one has fully entered the realm of love, the kingdom of love, the world, no matter how imperfect, becomes rich and beautiful. It consists solely of opportunities to love. It's like when your kids get full of energy on Christmas morning. It's got to go somewhere. There's no way that you can keep a child bottled up on Christmas morning. It has to go somewhere. Well, when you and I become filled with the knowledge of the love of God, when you and I are shown the love of God and it fills us and it overflows, it has to go somewhere. Somebody after the first service was telling me they heard, and I think it's true, but a scientist told them, here's the thing about light. It's invisible until it touches something. So if you look at the lights, you can see the light because the light is hitting the back of the light. If you look at the stage, you can see that there's light because it's touching me, because it's touching this thing, things on the stage. How will people know that you have the light? Who will you touch so people can see the light in you? I want to leave you with, with this. Do you have the sun? Do you have the sun? Not S-U-N, S-O-N. Because if you have the Son, then you have the Father's love. Some of us have, have been walking in darkness for far too long, and God is saying, come to the light. Stop settling for sand when I have so much more for you. Stop settling for disappointment. Stop loving the wrong thing. Love me, because I love you far more than you could ever love me, far more than you could ever love yourself. Come to the light that's come to you. And for the rest of us who we've seen the light and we've maybe been walking with Jesus for years, how is the love of God 
compelling you to go love others. As people who have been shown love, how is love awakening in you to go and love somebody else? What opportunities are you going to have in the new year to love somebody? How are you going to try and love that family member that's really hard to love at New Year's? When you walk into work on Monday morning, are you going to try and love that coworker or that boss that you just can't get along with because God loved you first? Or kids, when you go back to school and you sit at the lunch table, how are you going to love somebody else? How are you going to go to that kid at recess who has nobody to play with? Because the gospel is the, it's this. We all were in darkness. We all were sitting on the side with nobody to play with. And Jesus came to us. So how will you go to other people? It's only the gospel of God. Only God can take a story of death and bring life. Only God can take a story of disappointment and bring love. But what's so cool is then he transforms us as people who have been shown love to go out and show love. People who have been blessed to be a blessing. And it's so cool because when we do that, we find that the the joy never stops. We find that we are actually joining in as God is recreating. As little recreated people, we're recreating with God. And it starts by how we love one another and how we love people outside of these walls. And it's because love is not an emotion and it's not a holiday, but it's a person who's here and he didn't go anywhere that I can look at all of you and say, Merry Christmas. He's still here. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you that you saw that we were people sitting in darkness. We were people with with no hope, Lord, and no peace, no faith, no joy because we love the wrong things and our hearts are not, we're not drawn to you. So God, thank you that you brought the light to us. God, thank you that you are continually bringing light to darkness, Lord. You're continually speaking life into death. You're continually awakening us, Lord, to your love. So I pray that you would fill us this week with your love, Lord. Give us, give us a joy knowing that you love us more than we could ever love you and that God send us out from this place to love other people. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.